Hello and welcome to the National Trust podcast. I'm Michelle Douglas, Assistant Podcast Producer at the National Trust. This Saturday, the 20th of June, marks the longest day of the year. And while many of us may take advantage of the extra hours, we often forget that in years gone by, the summer solstice was a much more significant and sometimes sinister time of the year. Some honoured the solstice sun with great monuments. Some saw this as a time of magic and mystery, and some thought it might infect them with midsummer madness. So are these tales just the stuff of myth and legend? Or is there really something strange about the midsummer sun? So the summer solstice is the longest day of the year when the sun rises to its highest point in the sky. But what exactly causes this phenomenon? To explain, here's Dr Harry Cliff, particle physicist at the University of Cambridge and former curator at London Science Museum. To get a better understanding of what's going on, he wants you to imagine the Earth in a slightly peculiar way. It's like the Earth is a kind of rotisserie chicken or something going around the sun. Let's imagine we're looking at an Earth-shaped doner kebab. Rather than rotating upright, just like the Earth, the skewer, or the axis that passes through the poles, is tilting away from its heat source at an angle of 23.5 degrees. Tilted at an angle so that one end of it is going to end up with more radiation, the other end is going to end up colder. In this position, the bottom half of the kebab, or the southern hemisphere, is closer and more exposed to heat and light from the sun. In the northern hemisphere, we are at our furthest point from the sun, receiving less heat and light. This is our winter solstice. As the Earth moves round the sun, it rotates on its vertical axis to 23.5 degrees towards the sun, or in the case of our kebab, the grill. In this position, we're at the summer solstice, where the northern hemisphere is closest to the sun, most exposed to heat and light, and the moment we experience the year's longest day. This is the summer solstice. At this point, the Earth starts to rotate back to its starting position. In between those two winter and summer solstices, you have the the spring and the autumn equinox, which are the times when you have roughly equal hours of of daylight and nighttime around the sort of 20th of March and 20th of September each year. So rather than being a mystical event, the summer solstice is in fact an astronomical one. This should make it easy to dismiss the tales of strange happenings and the effects of midsummer madness as folklore and myth. But this may not be the case, as there is some evidence that the sun at this time of year can have an effect on human physiology and psychology. Light is affecting us in lots of different ways. Levels of light in the environment can affect our alertness, our mood. That was Russell Foster, Professor of Circadian Neuroscience at the University of Oxford. His research tells us light from the sun can affect humans and animals in some peculiar ways. One of the interesting findings recently has been looking at the circadian clocks of Arctic animals. During the summer months, when there's constant light, they turn their clocks off. There is no change in the light-dark cycle. And so what these uh, Arctic reindeer do is they feed uh, essentially constantly throughout the summer months. So what exactly is the circadian clock and the light-dark cycle? 
We can think of circadian rhythms as being an internal representation of the day. We have a biological clock ticking away within our brain. And rather than a pendulum, our internal clock is regulated by the light-dark cycle of day and night. So the light-dark cycle is detected by the eye and then sends messages in to the master clock within the brain. And this master clock is known as the suprachiasmatic nuclei, or the SCN. The SCN is like a conductor, keeping an orchestra of clocks on beat and in time. Billions and billions of other clocks uh, in essentially every cell in the body. So you have this circadian network of lots and lots of clocks, biological clocks, all coupled together. And the question is why? Circadian rhythms help us regulate our bodies in anticipation and preparation to perform daily and annual activities. In anticipation of getting up, metabolic rate increases, temperature increases, and our body is prepared for the varied demands of activity. Now, if we didn't have this internal clock and we simply waited for the environment to change before we changed our biology, we'd waste an enormous amount of time and energy in that transition process if you don't have that daily adjustment by light. And the classic mismatch between the internal day and the external day is jet lag. Exposure to light and dark can also affect our physiology and psychology in other ways. In the winter months, when the night length increases hugely, there's an increase in uh, depression. Prolonged exposure to light can have more positive effects. During the summer, we have a very long day. Now, the data for this is very poor, but it's not unreasonable to think that uh, greater levels of light during summer might change some of the key brain neurotransmitters, alter our mood, and indeed make us more effervescent and more excitable. So maybe the summer madness that people have talked about is as a result of exposure to light. <laughs> Midsummer Madness captured the imaginations of many. Shakespeare even wrote about it in his plays. So could it be that he was writing about what was common in his time? Or perhaps it was something he'd even experienced himself. On the first view to say, I love thee. The idea of there being a strangeness about Midsummer is prehistoric. This is Ronald Hutton, professor of history at Bristol University and author of Stations of the Sun, a history of the ritual year in Britain. The phrase Midsummer Madness is one that's become popular in relatively modern times. But Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream is an apotheosis, a beautiful summary of the feeling of something weird and magical about Midsummer Night. Nowadays, we understand the astronomy behind the solstice, but in medieval times, it was seen as something peculiar. Even today, when you track the summer solstice from Earth, you'll notice something strange that may explain the medieval beliefs. When the sun stands still, it's a special, a sacred time, when the normal laws of nature or divinity could be suspended, when spirits and fairies could contact humans, when humans could exceed the usual limitations of their world, and so many things became possible which normally were not. You may not have noticed that as we move from winter solstice around the 21st of December to the summer solstice, 
the points in the horizon where the sun rises and sets move further and further apart, effectively moving from a few degrees south at the winter solstice to a few degrees north for the summer. When we reach the summer solstice, that movement stops for a few days before the sunrise and sunsets start to move closer together again. And it's this that medieval people are referring to when they talk of the sun standing still. It seems to the naked eye to stop moving. It seems to rise and set at the same points in the horizon for a few days. A solstice meant something far more haunting and numinous and spooky. So in medieval Britain, was it this apparent break in space and time that allowed these mystical forces to be unleashed and wreak havoc on our minds, bodies and souls? Mercifully, we've totally forgotten the fear of what late summer would bring. According to Ronald Hutton, the hijinks and strange behaviour around this time was a response to Mother Nature rather than the mysterious summer sun. It's the time of the year when insects breed most abundantly. In previous millennia, those insects carried dangers for us a lot more frightening than an itch. Fleas would carry bubonic plague. Lice carried typhus, mosquitoes, malaria. Also, it's the time when the corn in the fields have grown tall enough to be vulnerable to disease of their own or to storms which could flatten them and destroy somebody's bread supply. It's the time when the flocks and herds are now vulnerable to disease themselves. So you put this lot together and there's an awful lot to be afraid of in July and August. For that reason, the summer solstice became the greatest festival of fire of old Europe. From Ireland to Siberia, from Norway to Algeria, people would light and bless fires to make them sacred. They'd dance round them, they'd jump over them. Often they'd drive their flocks and herds between two of them or process between them themselves. And they'd take flaming torches and run in circles around their cornfields to protect them. In the agricultural year, it's a lull in the need to tend things. The hay has usually been taken in and there's a gap before the cereal harvest begins. So you can actually take time off for festivity. It's the time of greatest light and shortest night, so a natural time for partying and celebration. In medieval and early modern times, great processions carrying flaming torches and bringing hobby horses and giants would take place in the biggest towns and cities. So it seems many of us may have experienced midsummer madness for ourselves. Americans on a spring break. Brits going to Ibiza to dance in discotheques. And early modern and medieval British people dancing around midsummer bonfires and crowning themselves with flowers are all engaging in seasonal festivity of a rather similar kind and for similar reasons. In many ways, the essence of midsummer madness is a chance to let go to festivity and surrender yourself to pleasure. So in medieval times, this myth of midsummer madness may just have been a description of the mischief and mayhem of the summer celebrations. 
However, to ancient religions and civilizations, the solstice was something to be revered. Great monuments were built to honor celestial bodies. The Mayan pyramids of Mexico, the hills of Machu Picchu in Peru, the Sphinx and the Great Pyramids in Egypt, and the UK's Stonehenge. And when you think of solstice in the UK, thoughts of the Druids are often not too far behind. But just who are the Druids, and what do they have to do with solstice? Rich Blackett, Publications and Media Officer for the Pagan Federation, explains more. The Druids have a certain resonance in terms of media coverage, perhaps. But there is just as many other people who you might never see on television, but they would feel very, very strongly about Midsummer from a religious point of view. Paganism is an umbrella term that incorporates not only Druids, but many other pre-Christian religions. It will cover things, I might have heard of Wicca. There are heathens, which are ancient Germanic religions. There's people who just simply identify broadly as pagan. The sun and the moon are held to be sacred within paganism because it's the bringer of life, ripening things and seem to be a physical representation of the gods. Druidry in particular reveres the summer solstice, the, the highest point of the sun. It's also both a time of joy and sadness because it's part of the turning of the seasons, the cycle of life, so a very symbolic day. For the Druids and many ancient civilizations, summer solstice was a sacred time of year. But it may surprise you to know that many of the stone circles on the British Isles have been built to favour the winter solstice. Here's Ronald Hutton again. New Grange, the most famous prehistoric monument of Ireland, is aligned upon the winter solstice. Maze Howe, the great Neolithic passage tomb in Scotland, is aligned upon the midwinter sunset. And in England, Stonehenge is aligned upon both. In fact, Stonehenge was built to favour the winter solstice as its grand spectacle, with one of the great trilithon, or stone archways, positioned for the winter solstice sun. The great trilithon was aligned so that the midwinter sunset drove a beam of red light straight through the gap between the upright stones and landed on the altar stone, a wonderful pyrotechnic effect which was lost long ago because the Great Trilithon collapsed. And it's the winter solstice that may have a greater significance in our lives today than we realise. Christianity adopted ancient pagan festivals wholesale and converted them into major feasts of the new church. In the case of the winter solstice, the 20th of December, the sun reaches its furthest point south. The sun starts to move again round about the 25th of December, which is the end of the solstice. And that's an excellent time to celebrate the rebirth of the sun and, of course, the nativity of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian. The summer solstice rituals have almost vanished in a way that those of Christmas, the winter solstice, haven't. But these summer solstice traditions haven't completely vanished. In fact, in some places they're seeing a resurgence. The greatest survivals are in villages like Walton-on-the-Green in Northumberland, which still has its midsummer bonfire. 
but the mightiest of the revivals is in Cornwall, where since the 1920s a chain of bonfires have been lit on the hills right down the county from Land's End to the River Tamar and the Devon border. And even more recently, Penzance has launched an evening celebration of midsummer with uh, fires and uh, uh, hobby horses and uh, other entertainments in the old-fashioned manner. Celebrating solstice isn't just about grand gestures to the gods or wild celebrations. Many see it as a time to take personal reflection or spend time with loved ones to acknowledge the passing of the seasons. However, if you're looking for something more hedonistic... Ronald Hutton has some suggestions for how you can celebrate solstice at home. For those who have back gardens and can make a fire pit or excavate one in a flower bed, you can have your own midsummer bonfire in your back garden. One traditional thing you can do quite easily is sit round it or dance round it as a household. In ancient times, people often jumped over it. This is, of course, rather a risky enterprise. That might be a part of the past that you were willing to let go. If you'd like to acknowledge the solstice in a more artistic way, why not try making a summer solstice pinhole camera? Here's particle physicist Harry Cliff again. One really cool thing you can do is to make something called a solar graph, which these these really beautiful images. It's quite simple. Basically, what you do is you get like a, a little cylindrical tube, which is sealed. And then you can do something where you line it with photographic paper and then put a pinhole in one side. And then if you set that up in a place where you can see the sky, then over the course of the year, the movement of the sun across the sky will burn a line into the photographic paper. And you get these amazing images of kind of these great bright bands that go across the sky. And they create these really amazing otherworldly images. This kind of white line left by the sun reaches its highest point on the image. That will be the summer solstice. Whether you're a pagan, druid, or just someone that has a connection with nature, summer solstice this year will have some significance for us all. It's traditionally been seen as a turning point and a time to reflect and give thanks. And as we start to ease out of lockdown, hopefully summer solstice 2020 marks a turning point for which to be thankful. Wishing you a happy litter. Thanks for listening to the National Trust podcast. We'll be back next time with more inspirational stories to ease you through lockdown. For more ideas on celebrating midsummer at home, from spotting wildlife at dusk to sunset photography tips, go to nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash midsummer podcast. This year to limit the spread of COVID-19, Stonehenge and Avebury will be closed for solstice and we'd respectfully ask you to stay away from these sites and the surrounding areas on that day. You'll be able to watch a live stream of the solstice on English Heritage social media channels. And if you'd like to experience the solstice in nature, please watch from your garden or from a viewpoint local to your home. For more audio programmes like this from the National Trust, visit nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash podcasts or subscribe to this podcast on Apple or Spotify. Until next time, from me, Michelle Douglas, goodbye. Goodbye.